Welcome to Season 2 of the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Yeah, is that a new thing now? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. What are we going to do with Brandon? (laughs) The Brandon... The Brandon conundrum. Yeah, I've st- I've I've been figuring that out for thirty years. <laughs> I think you've almost got it nailed. I'm stumped. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> to be fair. All right, we'll check in later. <laughs> give me yeah, give me like thirty more years. Dan, yes. How's your conundrum today? Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you know who you are? Uh, I know what I am going to do, and so. If I want to define myself by action, I've got a pretty good line of sight for the short term. Wow. Yeah. That was good. That was like Emerson in a way. Wow. Yeah. So the thing I'm going to do today, this may be actually Filament's last podcast with me on it, because I'm going to go motorcycling with Arthur Lowe this afternoon. Oh, okay. To go visit our former uh, art director, Trevor Brown, at his pizza farm. Wait, right? is it a pizza farm now? Yeah, he works at a pizza farm. That's correct. For real? Yeah, he's yeah. interning at a pizza farm. I, I knew it was a farm. I didn't know they were growing pizzas. Well, they're, they're growing the uh, the ingredients that one might make a pizza with. Basil. Yes. And other types of basil. Tomatoes, <laughs> as Trevor would say. Yes, yeah. tomatoes. Tomatoes, basil. What can he ferment in in the pizza process? The dough. Yeah. All yeah, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind Fremont. of- Fremont. Yeah. Mm. That's his, that's his, uh, his yeast name. Yeah, he named his. <laughs> yeah, you got to name the yeast. Yeah, yeah, you got to name the yeast. He's had it for years. Well, I'm just so it's a member <laughs> it of the family. Lives in their fridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this is fascinating information. Yeah, I've revealed my ignorance about dough fermentation. No, but I, we've we have revealed the existence of Arthur on today's podcast. Though. Yeah, that's true. Sorry, I, I just jumped in there. I was that's actually good. just going to ask you who that guy is. Oh, well, that's it. That's <laughs> Arthur sitting across from me. <laughs> yep. Hi, Arthur. Hey, what brings you here? Um, hey, Cat invited me to come talk about identity, Cat Shanahan, uh, and maybe some VR. Okay, sweet. Yep, sweet. So, what do you do here? Uh, because I've I direct clearly... efforts in engineering. All right. Uh, so, more specifically, uh, I help out in any capacity that I can uh, with any developer uh, that requires assistance uh, in implementing features for games or solving their own internal strife mm-hmm. while working right. here at the company. That's awesome. I yep. will bring my next strife to you. Yes. Um, question, though. What are you playing these days? What are you gaming on in, um, your, in your life? Boy, these days. Uh, these days, I'm still playing Dota 2. Okay. Uh, hmm. Yep. Wow. Um, it's got me. The international starts this week. Mm. Started, like, yesterday, I believe. Uh, $20 million pot Wow. in Whoa. esports. So That's crazy. It's big. Yeah. It's big. Um, you can make your own eSport with that amount yeah, of money. Yeah, you could. That's right. You could. You could. Uh, and multiply that by four, and you yeah. got how much money what is uh, the, Valve has made. How much, the does the, uh, <laughs> how much does the winning team take home? Uh, a, a massive portion of that. Five million? It's got to be more than that. Ten million? It's, it'll, probably, it'll probably be uh, between five and ten. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So e- each player you can think of is definitely getting a greater than a million dollar payday. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Uh, 
And that's why you endure the abuse. That's why you strive. Yeah. In a MOBA. Yep. For the sweet cash payout. Right. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm a pretty boring gamer at the moment. Right. Uh I I've been playing Pokemon Leaf Green on my phone. Uh, because of the Pokemon Go. Gasp. Uh Apocalypse. Yes. It's got me reinvigorated and grinding. So you're emulating? I actually don't know. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I, didn't, yes. I wasn't familiar with another iPhone or mobile phone Pokemon game, but that's because you're cheating. Yes. Cheating. Yeah, I'm yeah. playing uh, the Game Boy Advance game. Nice. Yeah. He's playing a game that you can no longer buy anywhere. <laughs> wow. <laughs> sure. I do have a Game Boy Advance Memory uh, in my defense. So. <clears throat> All right. Fair enough. It's just easier on the phone. Do you want to talk a little bit about, should we talk about the Pokemon Go apocalypse? I mean, we can. We can talk about... I mean, I've certainly soured on it. Yeah, I feel like my uh, you're, you're my salty premonitions <laughs> I've been thinking have all about that. come yeah. to fruition. You're grim, like a like a prophet in the wilderness. I know. I feel good about it. <laughs> Shaking your fist at Neantic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if if anyone is not aware, they uh, launched a massive rebalancing patch over the last over the last weekend, um, which was a surprise. And I believe the te- like the update for the patch notes said minor text updates. Yeah. So it was, it was almost like a standoffishly small amount of information about like the huge rebalancing they did of the game. Yeah, they removed. I think what no, what's noteworthy to me is they removed several what people would consider core features mm-hmm. um, that were in need of improvement, but their improvement was simply to eliminate them. So right. problem solved. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. So at one point, I've only I've been reading about. It. I don't. I haven't played it. Uh, but so I could get the some of this a little wrong. They had a thing that allowed you to see how close a Pokemon was mm-hmm. by a set of dis- of steps, mm-hmm. one, two, or three steps, and apparently that was working a little odd. So they're like, you know what, steps, schmeps. You have no idea how far away a Pokemon is. Isn't that better? Mm-hmm. And people don't find that better. Um, the other no, one was it's like a square kilometer space, right? Yeah. So unless you are, <laughs> I thought it was like a three step circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you are just really have the time to, you know completely wander you'll never find a pokemon on the nearby list yeah essentially unless you're like i've just got an hour i got an hour to burn let's do it Mm -hmm. uh the other thing was uh removal of the battery saving feature Mm -hmm. because they're like that seems like a thing people don't want to do huh yeah well Well, so they they did that because it kept freezing right uh, input on the screen they removed it on ios specifically because what would happen is you put battery saver on and then you turn it off like Mm -hmm. you just flip it back up right and the touch screen would no longer work like it would just no longer read the same bug exists on android yeah Yeah. okay okay but yeah i mean you know i think it it is a case study in like hideously bad community management and a squandered opportunity it's it's pretty amazing to me they've they've definitely soured their user base especially like the hardcore portion of yeah. it like significantly um and then and then they did some other kind of shady stuff like you know their reviews on the app store tanked when they did this and then they like pushed another release basically to reset the review average on yeah. the new version yeah. Start again. and the community you know smelled that and <laughs> like just immediately went on a on a shellacking campaign and tore their their review apart again. Um, but yeah, you know, it was interesting because I was contrasting that with um, the kind of summer games promotion that Overwatch is doing. Yeah. Um, with like a Rocket League-ish type mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was cool because it's like the polar opposite of community management. Like you go on their Facebook page and it's like every comment is like, we love you, Blizzard. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, I don't know, I think like, 
that that's what it underlined for me, especially like working in marketing, just like how important it is to create transparency and like trust with your community. That's actually really uh, just to get further pertinent on that, because uh, I also I had a positive Blizzard community experience yesterday too, because mm-hmm. they uh, they very recently banned a wave of uh, uh, cheaters in Overwatch. Mm-hmm. They just did a, they nuked a whole I think two like something called like a trigger bot or something, some some aiming hack and then some other recoloring app. So like some things that were, yeah, some cheats and they just, they nabbed all those people and those people swore revenge mm. for this injustice of being banned. And so mm-hmm. last night was a a big uh, DDoS. Oh yeah, yeah. I heard uh, about that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they were down for several hours, mm-hmm. but like, you know, right on the Reddit Overwatch Blizzard person's like, thanks, everybody. We're working super hard on it. We'll let you know uh, as soon as we've turned this around. And right, and they were, you know, answering questions from people even in the middle of their their what you know the inaugural day of the special. The thing had melted, but yep, the, everyone was really happy because Blizzard was talking and working on it. And it's amazing. Yeah. Like that's all it takes. You could, you I think you could get away with removing core features from a game if you're like being candid and transparent yeah. about why it's happening and like why you're pulling something back into the workshop before you put it out again into the sure. wild. Yeah, yeah. I think the fact that they had the the reason they'd gone down was because they'd also done something really positive for the community by banning all those cheaters. Right. Get really made people rally. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean the. Very wrong-handed move on the part of the cheaters to be like, this will do it. <laughs> regain our place in the community. Yeah. Virtual reality. Virtual reality. We've talked about it a couple times already, yep. and I don't think I don't think you could say enough about VR. Honestly, it's it's making waves. We'll certainly find out. S- that's true. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out at the end of this podcast if we've said too much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So, Norton, you've got a couple ideas about VR, specifically as it pertains to identity. So, I want to hear what those ideas are. Yeah. This has been something that has impacted my thinking on several projects, but specifically VR projects inside Filament. Um, so... As have we as we've certainly discussed before, uh, you know, one of the big tools we use to make game-based learning experiences impactful is the creation of identity. Uh, right. So we create identities for our players, and those identities can be professions or uh, perspectives or even named people with you know fully fleshed out personalities and etc and so games give this really unique window where you can step into those perspectives and have sort of this mediated intermediate level of identity connection to the game you're still you playing the game but you're playing it as someone else um, and that gives you a really unique relationship to the experience and a lot of handles to do interesting things to support that identity um, one of the classic, like I think it's an old Jim G example of like strange things that happen with identity is um, you can be, let's say you're Lara Croft in a Tomb Raider game and, and the professor in the training level tells Lara to like press X to like jump over the ledge. And like for the player, there's just not actually any cognitive dissonance there. They're like, yes, yeah, so of course you tell Lara to press X. 
because the professor's talking to Laura, but also talking to you. And you can manage those two identities at the same time. Uh, you know, some games have made little things making fun of it, you know, like when, you know, when they, they know that they're talking to one identity versus the other. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a thing that games manage really well. So you can talk to the player at these two levels simultaneously. And then the theory is, right, with the transfer of an experience, players can take that uh, mediated identity and think about their performance and what they did in it and how it relates to their real life. They're like, oh, well, you know, I played this whole game as a scientist. That was pretty cool. You know, then hopefully the question is like, oh, maybe do I want to be a scientist, right? Um, or, you know, I was better at that than I thought I would be. Things like that we think are really powerful, transformative things to do with identity in games. I think the opportunity slash challenge with VR is that it seems like the most effective way, the thing that the thing that VR really transforms games is the level of immediacy between you and the game, right? You are in the game. You are you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think... I think two things. So one, I think that gives us a more powerful means of transferring experience than ever before. We can actually have you do things in a VR game that you will consider at a deep level a thing that you have done. But the second, I think we will have a harder time convincing you that you are someone you are not. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's settled. <laughs> yeah. I'm going My home. job here is done. Ta-da. <laughs> no, it's 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 so obvious to me. I guess maybe it's not obvious to everybody, but uh, but I think you really nailed it there. That like when you are playing as you and you are connected to that experience, uh, and you said deeper level, and really that deeper level means like uh, I'm interacting with this world physically. When I move my controller in space, I see it, um, you know, represented in front of my eyes virtually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this like clear connection between any action I take is being performed in the virtual uh, world. And that will be difficult to say that you are the specific scientist or you are specifically Laura Croft, mm-hmm. right? Because I think games that are not VR-based um, kind of had this, this luxury of, of constraining what like Laura Croft could do at any moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can only do Laura Croft things. Right, uh, and then the player is given agency uh, with how they combine or in what order they use those Laura Croft things. Totally, but they can't ever do a non-Laura Croft thing. Right, right. Mm. But in VR, suddenly, I think, uh, and especially in a game where you are manifested physically in that space, you can suddenly do things that the game designer didn't necessarily plan for. Mm-hmm. Um, that break your identity. Yep. Uh, and that's going to be a tough one to solve. It's totally going to be weird. It's going to be weird. Some weird business. Uh, and, I, and I think a number of people mm-hmm. might not ever get on board with that. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. You know, I for one require identity in games. I think mm-hmm. I think as a game uh, tries to give me some illusion of choice, I, I get more frustrated with it. Mm. Um, it makes me think of like Mass Effect. Yeah. Um, I'm going to use that as my example. Mm-hmm. M- many people have played that game, uh, but you're Commander Shepard in that. Yes. And I've always had this problem with. I'm Commander Shepard, and then Bioware is like, "Oh, but you can, you can choose what you want to do." Right. Uh, but it's very difficult for me to play the game that way because I'm like, "What would Commander Shepard do?" Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everybody's going to play that way, but that's that's where I find you know I'm playing an RPG with branching narrative and dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I always end up playing the same exact character, mm-hmm. which is like what I think should be. Uh, and I get frustrated. The times I get frustrated are when, you know, I pick an option that's like, uh, I'm using air quotes here, bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the game informs me that was a bad choice. But I'm like, no, that aligns with my identity. Yeah. Uh, like, right. who are you to say, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. this is a bad choice or not? So do you find that, you know, if you're playing a game where you don't have like a prescribed identity, like something you just, you've created your own avatar, your own character out of whole cloth, like do you, do you find that you relate more closely to those? I think I, I play as myself more okay. in those moments for sure. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what impact does that have on, you know, something like like VR if we're going to make... I don't know, like, let's take, for example, like, a scientist simulator. Like, Mm -hmm. the balance there to me is, like, you're balancing what would I do as a scientist Mm -hmm. versus, like, what would a professional scientist do? Right. And I feel like perhaps the purpose of a game like that would be to actually bring you from what you think a scientist is to, like, what it it actually is. So that, like, that seems like an inherent conflict, like... Right, and well, I think I think that's a great example because I th- I think that the big challenge with a VR game about a science place like that mm-hmm. like, would be you as the player are going to feel vastly more like I've wandered into a laboratory mm-hmm. rather than like I have become a scientist. Right, this is where I am every day. Right, it's the immediacy of the experience actually gives you fewer tools to manage the player's sense of identity, I think. And I think uh, I think things like asking you to be Lara Croft get, creates more cognitive dissonance in a virtual reality experience. Because you're like, no, 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 I am me. I'm, I can see myself standing here. Well, I can see me holding these wands anyway. Sure. Right. It's right. not externalized in any way. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, maybe part of it's like just... Uh, Maybe that's a literacy that will grow. So in my head, I've not ever played, I've never played a VR Lara Croft game, but if I could see, if I look down and I saw Lara Croft's body, mm-hmm. that'd be confusing. I'd have some stuff to work on. Yeah, that'd right? be confusing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, would be a, this would be a challenging moment for me as a player. And I, I play as female avatars very commonly in games. Right. Like, I, it, it's not, but literally looking down and being like I've given myself a virtual sex change yeah uh, is actually is different right I guess that's sort of my main point is like it's different the virtual reality's relationship to identity is a different thing than than a traditional game's relationship to identity yeah that's really interesting it's like um, yeah I I mean with I don't know with like a training simulator or something like that like I could see why you would want to create like as few places for improvisation as possible Mm -hmm. Um, but in some ways that sort of defeats the purpose (laughs) right of the medium itself right Mm. yeah so it's 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 a thing that's going to get explored maybe the audience will grow in their capabilities to imagine their immediate mediated identity right maybe that's that's a thing but I think for right now when I think of the things I've done in VR I think of them as things that I have done. Right. And I think of that in a different way than the things I've accomplished in other games. Because uh, I don't have that double stacked identity. I don't mm. have the I don't have the intermediate identity the uh that the game can provide scaffolding and feedback through. I've just done stuff. 
Yeah, it's almost like it creates like a higher burden of like role play and almost like becoming an actor mm-hmm. of that thing. Like you're having to kind of change your mindset. Yeah, you know, while you're playing, which is like. Uh, you know, I used to play EverQuest, like very old school MMO, um, mm-hmm. and they had servers that were explicitly for role playing. And I think even WoW had this. Too oh yeah, they still do. And mm-hmm. um, and in those in those worlds, like when you encounter a dwarf, like he's going to speak with, he's going to type in some kind of brogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's going to be like super obsessed about minerals or whatever, um, <laughs> <laughs> quartz, I assume. Um, but. But yeah, it's like that that kind of play already occurs. Mm-hmm. It's just like not mainstream at all. Yeah. And I think like it that's something that you'll see become if if VR is going to really take off in that direction, I think it could become more mainstream to approach your your play like that. Yeah, maybe maybe another an interesting world of a question that we don't have to pursue is whether or not those those World of Warcraft role playing players say, "Okay, now you're going to play this in VR." You are that dwarf. Like you could see you're at this shortened height and mm-hmm. you are walking around as the dwarf and mm-hmm. we expect you to talk like the dwarf out loud, et cetera. How many of those people are like, oh, sure, no problem. That's that's exactly the same for me. Right. And how many are like, mm, true. <laughs> mm. Yeah. yeah. It, it introduces that that new like exposure or like fear yeah. of, of being exposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because of the immediacy that you are talking about earlier. Yeah. So, I don't know. I was rolling around in my head being like, I want to call it, like, identity collapse or something. Mm. That sounds like an epidemic. I don't think this is actually necessarily (laughs) a bad thing. I think it's just a different thing about VR that's, I think, important to flag. And as we see more games that experiment with who you are and what you can do inside a VR environment, it'll be interesting to see how people react. Um I, I think that's basically it. It's kind of we're at a really interesting juncture. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, I think that like if you have someone who has like a strong sense of their own identity that is immediately undermined by whatever they're doing in VR. Yeah. Like you know, if you and I were thrust into like s- sick nasty dunk simulator, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we would just be like, which you know, yeah. we, we it would be. It'd be catastrophic. Right. We'd have to divide our responsibilities. I'll take the sick dunks, and then you can do the nasty dunks. I'm picturing, I was just thinking, like, one of us on another person's shoulders. (laughs) Just doing, like, a game of chicken. That is clearly not a sick, nasty dunk. Yeah. You're right. That would be subpar. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. All right. So, you know, what other, um, I don't know, what, what do you think we can learn from this dichotomy, um, even if we're approaching a non-VR game, you know, what, what do we have to be careful of Mm -hmm. with identity and just like a normal learning game to make sure that we're not creating dissonance for the player? Uh, I think (laughs) (laughs) that didn't, that sounded less thoughtful than I wanted it to because I was thinking, Uh, if it's, uh, if it's, uh, (laughs) I want that on the soundboard as well. (laughs) (sighs) Man, (laughs) you and your birthday. I'm going to hack your machine later. He's a birthday tyrant. Yeah. So uh, basically, I think VR just sort of helps highlight what we already knew about the relationship between players and identity in games. Like that games have a special set of tools to create the intermediate identity or the that, that semiotic domain hmm. that you can enter uh, where you can... 
think about in a architected and thoughtful way about being someone else without losing your own identity. Um, So, I mean, it it just sort of re-emphasizes that games are really varied and they have special powers when you shape them in different ways. And that VR is probably going to have, along with all of the things that are the exciting, obvious new opportunities, there are some interesting, I think, concealed constraints to consider. It is, I think, at least for the initial literacy of users, it's going to be hard to project a really exotic identity on people, identity that they have a hard time reconciling as something they're willing to pretend to be just literally them. You got to set it up, I think, really. Mm-hmm. It's like you got to build up that narrative if you mm-hmm. want to convince someone that they're sure someone other than themselves. Right. 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 So. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, like using again that example of like you're a scientist in a lab, like the narrative exposition that that could make that work is like you open like it opens up where you're walking in and you're immediately, you know, confronted by a bunch of assistants who have like your task list and they're telling you what you worked on yesterday and what you're working on. Right. Today and yeah. right you, know. you need to know what comes before. Exactly. Right? So like, that you know how to proceed. Right. right. There's some kind of framing context to create. You know what is what is effectively just like a, a phantom yeah. <laughs> of right. a backstory. Right. Yep. Yeah. Although I still think that the player will be like, "I'm faking it. These people. I got to make sure these people don't catch you on. That <laughs> I don't actually know how to do science." <laughs> Maybe right. I don't know. that's a convincing argument yeah. to me, though. I guess. Oh, I think it'll work. But I'm just yeah. saying, like the player's relationship with success is different. Uh, whereas right. you know, you start up. Uh, you know, like trauma surgeon or something. And I'm like, oh yeah, sure. I'm a superstar surgeon. Sure. That's cool. Mm. Um, for, some, for no particular reason, I'm going to work on an incredibly easy patient first. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, like it, it's just, yeah. you know, you don't have any cognitive dissonance right. in accepting that master role right out of the gate because you understand that the game is going to mediate that identity yeah. for you. Well, then I think um, what matters really is like what is success based on, right? Yeah. Is it is it just moving forward in a story or is it doing things well yeah um mm-hmm. because back to the skyrim example because mm-hmm. um, that's what i would have learned pulling pulling this like revelation from vr mm. uh, identity based games uh back to just non-vr games is is we need to be careful about giving the player uh an identity that already existed and then not telling them anything about it yeah mm-hmm. that's um, fair because in skyrim for example, it's great that you can kind of make your character however you want them to be, but then like, what what are your metrics for success? Yeah, uh, you get to make those up. Yep. Right, uh, but you're not presented with like the you know in trauma surgeon the the easy patient first. Totally. So. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be an interesting thing. It's to, very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And create a accessibility challenge for for the casual player, I think, in some ways. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So. I have one more segment oh. that we need to power through. I think I'm ready. <laughs> I don't think I am. I'm so dispirited about this thing. <laughs> I got to tell you, Brandon, I uh, I was reviewing previous podcasts. Yeah. I was listening to some of our podcasts yesterday. Yeah. And I, I feel like I actually accidentally studied more up on our... Oh, that's annoying. You're like watching the plays. Yeah. I went through, I went, I reviewed the playbook. It's like Kobe Bryant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... This is upsetting. Um... Let's see. So, well, okay, let's introduce the segment rather than... Yeah. Yeah. We need a sound bite. We need a... Oh, or fabrication. Wow. 
That was good. You know what? Maybe for you know, <laughs> I enjoyed watching Arthur's face for that more <laughs> more than more than the sound itself. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to mix it up today. I would like uh, since, as you know, I have a comfortable lead in fact of fabrication now. Uh, I would like to actually. I'm there's, blinking, there's a few dis- people. I'm blinking disdainfully yeah. right now, <laughs> just so everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, there's few people uh, in the planet I trust more for a good idea than Arthur. So I'm going to have Arthur field this one today. I may provide some insight on the meta level advice. Yeah, support would be great. Yeah, because uh, I have no idea what's about to happen. <laughs> All right, sweet. <laughs> All right, so um, I have chosen two facts. Well, one of them is a fact, and one of them is a fabrication. Um, I will have made one of them into a fabrication using like the most minute detail that you could possibly miss, and you have to figure out which one is a lie. It's like the game Balderdash in a way. Okay. But yeah, so but, one is entirely true, and one is almost true. Right. Yes. Except for one minor detail. Yeah. Except for one minor detail. Although I've been lobbying Brandon to mix it up and just make one. True and one completely false. lie, because sure. I think it actually gives you more freedom for for the truthiness of it. But anyway, let's not get too meta too soon. <laughs> All right, here we go. Fact number one: <clears throat> the theme of today's segment, by the way, is virtual reality. Oh, um, <laughs> well, picked, well, well. Picked a couple of pioneers to highlight people who are just who were on Wikipedia when I searched VR pioneers. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so um, fact number one, uh, Nicole Stinger is known as a pioneer of VR in the arts, having created between 1989 and 1992 the first immersive movie called Angels, which is to be experienced using a VPL data glove and a high-resolution HRX goggles developed by Jaron Lanier. I love the VPL data glove. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> it actually looks a lot like a power glove. Does it? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and other fact, um, Warren Robinette, famous for creating the first graphical adventure game for the Atari 2600, which was called Adventure. Oh, that's a good game. Um, <laughs> and later went on to found the learning company, who knew, um, after which he worked on augmented and virtual reality products for NASA. Interesting. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about how neat Adventure was. It was, was such it a neat game. Was it good? Yeah. You had like the dragons looked an awful lot like Big Bird um, and they chased you around. Beautiful. Um, and it had one. Of, if it maybe I'm not sure if it's the first Easter egg, but one of the first and most compelling Easter eggs of all time. There was like a secret single dot that you could find that was like a key to open up a whole other area that was like, I think, the, the developer's names written on the floor. Oh, that's awesome. And it was super cool. That's uh, like, yeah. That's the primordial Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. Like adventure. Adventure, mm-hmm. man. All right. Some good stuff. All right. We'll have to try that out sometime. Having said that, I have nothing to help you with, Arthur. <laughs> yeah. <There's, laughs> I don't uh, know anything else except about the game adventure. My from first all the comment things. would be how uh, incredibly long and detailed <laughs> those fact. <laughs> And, uh, well, see, what you're missing here is that, like, I have been on a losing streak. Sure. And so I came in today sure. hoping to eviscerate I, Mr. Norton, and he is now mm-hmm. hiding behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's no way you'd know which part you changed. Right. So I th- 
Let's talk about that because the fun part of me for this game is talking about the strategy. Sure. Um, Getting inside my head and driving me mad. <laughs> so I don't think Brandon will ever do something like just change a date or instead okay. of being like or a name. Yeah, it's actually Stranger. Ha ha. Yeah. yeah. I can usually literally change. considered that this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I would consider that a low blow. I thought better of it. Yeah. Uh, usually Brandon selects a piece of the uh, uh, statement that it's actually interesting to discuss the discrepancy. Mm. So that's mm. a filter yeah. you can run across each right. one, being like, ah, oh, which one of these things would be interesting if it was different? Yeah. And I do that for the audience. It's definitely not it's for, for the, me. The, it's for the kids. The gloves <laughs> it's for and the, the, kids. the HRX headset is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, is more interesting, I guess, than Yeah, going, I think that's reasonable. Founding TLC and going on to NASA. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, like, because I wonder what that art installation was or whatever. Yeah. Like, like, oh, it was, it was the interactive movie. Mm-hmm. Is what Angels. Said. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Going on to NASA. Seems plausible. Like, nerds were far more interchangeable it back does, then. It does, but I don't think, like, NASA <laughs> or JPL would invest the time in, like... I mean, I guess they would. It's like, what application does it have for astronauts? But... yeah. Yeah, that might be an angle of attack. But I would put my resources towards rocketry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, how do we get people to the moon? It's mm-hmm. possible that those budgets did not compete. But maybe they did. I don't sure. know. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Maybe back then they did. <laughs> that yeah. could be. I don't know. You can't go, you can't go wrong. Uh, I'm going to go with the second one. The second one's the, the false. <sighs> Oh, really? Yeah. Hey! <laughs> that is accurate. Okay. Well done, Arthur. All right. You've made me feel stupid yeah. for the fifth week in a row. Is this five? I don't know. I think it was, I think it it's three? four and two. Four? Four and two. Okay. Or maybe. Wait, so. Was I right? Oh, that's, mm. No, you were correct. Okay. You were yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the the uh, fabrication was that I said he worked on augmented and virtual reality projects for NASA. He, in fact, only worked on virtual reality projects. Ah, oh. <laughs> Didn't touch of the augmented. We won that one more on a coin flip. <laughs> Sneaky. Yeah. All right. It's true. Um, but, yeah, actually, the angels thing was really interesting. If you want to look up, like, a super early VR experience, like, it's... The 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 3D art in that like present in that movie is super rudimentary. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're gonna start getting a lot more of those experiences uh, in the next few years. Yeah, for sure. I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. She's still active. She's still making stuff today. Mm-hmm. So I'm I know sure they she... make really weird things for museums and and yeah, uh, art at the moment. But uh, yeah, I just got an ad the other day for the first VR rave. Uh, on the wait, internet? Yeah. yeah. Wait, Did you wait. see that? Well, I saw that they added, like, sound reactive brushes to Tilt Brush. I oh, saw that. Interesting. That was on ours last night, and they mm-hmm. it, they called it a VR rave. Oh, I see. So they just yeah, turn your Vive wands into glow sticks? I, no, I... No, it's like when I, you, Well, oh, oh, for that. Go yeah, ahead. for Go ahead. for the, for the um, Tilt Brush thing, you draw, and then it pulses, like, along with the music. Wow. It's like, you know, the Windows Media Player visualization, sure. but you can <laughs> yeah. just sure. draw But you it created it. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty neat. But you, you, so where's this VR rave? Uh, at? I'll have to look it up. Probably San Francisco. Yeah. Um, but that. everybody gets a headset when they walk in the door. Wow. Uh, I want to go. I don't there. know how you manage. Oh, I thought everyone be a thousand log- bodies. Yeah, I thought everyone would be logging in remotely and raving in their own little. I don't think so. Little reality closets. So that sounds more. That's what I would rather do. We need a name for what a VR room is. Yeah, I don't know. 
Darth Vader. Did you just say VR closet? I did. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, the closet part definitely is a little diminutive. Mm. I mean, we. I mean, we could call them what? Holodex. Holodex, right? Yeah. 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 Do, do we want to say that we have holodex now, or is that overselling our tech? I can't decide. I don't know. If I, I, don't, I, don't, yeah, I don't know if Mark One's a holodeck. The cord makes it unholodeck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's worth thinking about. Yeah, it's a thing that people want to be like. You should. Yeah. We should do this thing. Come over to my virtual reality closet. Right. Right into Cat Shanahan. Cat Shanahan will take all of your suggestions for uh, for VR. What you want to call your den of falsehoods. And her Enter the number. den of falsehoods. <laughs> I li- maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Uh, so that right. sounds inviting. Yeah. So call Cat Shanahan. Yep. Get in touch. Yep. Let us know what you think a VR chamber should be named. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today's show. Thanks very much for coming and joining us, Arthur. Yep. And defeating me. Yeah. In factor fabrication. I take credit for that, by the way. That's on the that goes on the list. It's on it's, your record. It's on the tally. That's that's a win for me. Because <laughs> I delegated responsibly. This is trial by combat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You were his champion. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, talk to you next week, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what goes on inside our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher.